0: Good morning, yeah, we are so glad you're here. We've been looking forward to this day for a long time and we're just thrilled that you are here to share it with us.
1: Because this weekend we're officially kicking off this church-wide adventure we're gonna be going on this month that we're calling The Gift of One Day. Because if you change what you do in a day, you change a lifetime. If you can learn how to really unwrap the amazing gift of one day, and receive all that God has for you, and give all that God wants you to give, then you make a difference for all eternity. And now everything is getting started this weekend. We kind of introduced it last weekend, but this weekend, the books are in, and all of our life groups are gonna be going through the study of the gift of one day. Every weekend, Chris and I are gonna be teaching on the lessons from the gift of one day, and how to unwrap each amazing day that God gives you. And so we want you today to pick up the book and the Miracle Book journal that goes with it because we're gonna have thousands of people all through Houston studying the gift of one day. And it's going to change our lives. And we want you, if you're hosting a life group, to pick it up, it's free, both the Miracle Book and the book, The Gift of One Day, if you're hosting. If you're in a life group, then it's way under the cost because we want everybody to get this. And we want you to be in a life group. If you're not in a life group, this is your weekend to get connected. We're gonna have connecting points all around the auditorium after you leave all through the foyer so you can get connected to a life group. So we're gonna be teaching on it on the weekends and we're gonna be going through it in all of our life groups and it's gonna saturate our hearts and make such a difference. Now we said last weekend that this whole series the book and the great adventure that we're going on is really based on what we're learning from two Judes. The first Jude is our grandson, Jude Samuel Shook, who was given the gift of one day on this earth before God called him to heaven. But how that little boy unwrapped the divine gift of his one day really changed the way we now live every day. But then the other Jude is Jude the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and he wrote a tiny little book, one of the smallest books in the New Testament, named after him, the book of Jude, and in Jude chapter one, verses one and two, in the message paraphrase, it says, I, Jude, am a slave to Jesus Christ, writing to those loved by God the Father, called and kept safe by Jesus Christ. Relax, everything's going to be all right. Rest, everything's coming together. Open your hearts, love is on the way. That last sentence is the secret to really unwrapping the gift of one day. It's opening your heart to receive all that God has to give you. Opening your heart to receive all the blessings, the miracles, all the goodness of God in your life, and then opening your heart to give all that God wants you to give. So it's all about opening your heart. So our whole goal for this month is to learn how to live with our hearts wide open. But before you can open your heart, you gotta first open your eyes. You gotta open your spiritual eyes to see the miracles that God is bringing your way. Are you gonna miss them? When our kids were growing up, their favorite place, their dream place to go on vacation was Disneyland. And to them, and now to our grandchildren, Disney really is the happiest place on earth. I'm not sure about that. It may be the most crowded place on earth. And it definitely feels like the most expensive place on earth when you're there. But they believe it's the happiest place on earth. And the first time we ever went to Disney, our kids became expert hidden Mickey hunters. Now, in case you didn't know, the architects of Disney theme parks have embedded, just subtly incorporated those Mickey Mouse ears, those iconic ears, all throughout the theme park. Uh, They may be stitched into a Disney hotel carpet design. They may be etched onto the side of a Disney theme park building, but you would never even notice them unless you were really looking for them. And once our kids started seeing them, they began to look for them everywhere. Once they started looking for them everywhere, they started seeing them everywhere, and then they turned it into a competition. Whoever could find the most hidden Mickeys before the end of the day won. And experiencing and seeing God's miracles in your life is sort of like looking for hidden Mickeys. Once you start looking for miracles, you start seeing miracles. And then you wonder why you were blinded to them before. Why you never saw them before because God's miracles are all around us. They're stitched into the most unexpected circumstances. They're etched into the most unlikely people. God's miracles are all around us but you have to open your eyes to really see them. Before you can open your heart, we gotta learn today to open our eyes.
0: Let's take a look at this first verse in your notes, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes so I can see what you show me of your miracle wonders. As Carrie said, there are so many miracles around us all the time, we just don't see them. And so I'm so excited about this journey that we're going to be going on over the next few weeks together, as we all learn to open our eyes and actually see the miracles around us. I really believe that you're going to be astounded. And we'll be sharing more of our family story of our grandson, Jude Samuel, who went to be with the Lord after living for just one day. But we share that not because our pain is unique. We share our story because this is our story, and We know that there are a lot of parallels, a lot of things that we've learned in the tough times that we pray that you can use. If you're going through a hard time now, or maybe you're still dealing with something really rough from the past, or maybe there's something around the corner that you're a little fearful of, we just pray that this will be something, some things that we've learned that you can apply to your own life. And so at the 20-week ultrasound, Uh, This whole time became a crash course, a crash season of how to find hope when times get hard. And at that 20-week ultrasound, uh, Kelly and Josh went in and expected everything to be perfect, but actually it was not, and they were told that most likely their son Jude, their firstborn, would not live more than a few minutes or hours after he was born. And it was during this day of feeling absolutely crushed, absolutely just crying out to God more than I ever had in my life, that God led me to grab an, an empty book just sitting on the shelf, an empty journal, and start writing in it. And so this, you hear us talk about the miracle book, and I want to make sure you understand what that is. This is the book I grabbed it, wasn't, it was just a book, it's orange, it just happened to be on my bookshelf. This was not something I, I worked up and ran out and tried to find the perfect thing. I just grabbed something off the shelf. And we started referring to it as the miracle book. I carried this around in my, in my purse everywhere we went. And, um, and when it get, got filled up, we started volume two and I did the same thing. I just grabbed another one, another random empty book and started writing in it. But this is the miracle book and, and on the very first page, I wrote this verse, Psalm nine verse one. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. So I just wrote Jude Samuel Shook at the top and I wrote that verse and I wanna tell you that when I wrote that verse at about one in the morning after uh, feeling more hurt than I'd ever felt in my whole life I did not write that with a heart of thanks. I'll just be honest. When I said, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, it was, it was an act of obedience. I was just saying, I will give thanks to you, God. I will give thanks. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. And in saying that, I was saying, God, I expect wonderful deeds from you. I'm looking for wonderful deeds. I'm looking for something that I can give thanks for. And this is going to be where I write it down, because I'm counting on you, God. I'm counting on you. And the miracle book became a place to capture day by day the big and the little ways that God met our needs. And believe me, there were so many of them. And I don't think that if I hadn't, um, if I didn't have this, if I wasn't carrying it around every day, if I wasn't so intent on finding what God was doing that was good, I don't know that I would have seen it. I read an article recently um, written by the National Parks, and a head ranger had written this article. And in it I thought it was so interesting. He said that 90% of search and rescue cases that they do involve day hikers. And I thought, well, that's weird. I I would expect that 90% of cases were of the people who were camping out the most, the ones who really go camping, who actually go out and set up their tents and and set up all the stuff and bring their food and have a big plan. But no, 90% of search and rescue are just are just the day trippers, just the ones who just go out for a hike. They're just heading out for a few hours. And this article went on to say that the reason that that happens is that they're not prepared. The day hikers just aren't prepared. They don't expect anything unexpected to happen. They just get out of their car in the parking lot and then just walk off into the woods and think everything is gonna be fine. They just aren't ready for anything unusual to happen. And also, the day The day trippers, the ones who just go out for a day hike, they have no practice finding their way. They just wander off, but they have no idea where they're going. They haven't bothered to look. Whereas the ones who are really campers know where they're going. They've usually picked out their site, and they know where they're going. They've picked it out according to where it is in relation to uh, everything else, in relation to water and getting back and finding their car. But not the day hikers. They just set out. And then also, the day hikers have really unrealistic view of what's out there. And this ranger said that survival TV really has not helped. You know, survival TV, believe it or not, has not helped, but it's hurt. People think, oh yeah, I watched several shows, and now, believe me, I can just head out, and if a giant snowstorm comes, never mind that I'm in Texas. If a giant snowstorm comes, I know exactly how to cut off my tires you know, from a car and make them into snowshoes. Or I can, you know, I can live off bugs for a month because I know exactly which ones I can eat. But it turns out those are not the problems that people run into. You know, it's, it's always water. It's, it's, just, you know, it's exposure. It's being in the cold. All these things that people don't prepare for. And as I read this article, I realized that maybe we could just think of our lives as a series of day hikes. And if we go out on a day hike every day in this broken world, at some point we're going to encounter unexpected trouble. At some point we're going to run into things that we just didn't see coming. These hard times for most lives happen more than once actually. And keeping a miracle book will help you prepare for the hard times in your life. And if you're there right now, then a miracle book will help you make it through. So let me be clear on what a miracle book is. It's just a written record, written by you, a written record of God's goodness in your life. His love is personal, and you will find that he personally answers prayers. He does things that would mean nothing to anyone else, but they mean a lot to you. And this is where you can write them down. Now, here's what it's not. It's not a sugar-coated, make-believe version of your pain. Because your pain is real. And going through this journey with Jude, our pain was real. It still is. And I doubt you need a reminder, though, to remember the painful things in your life. I mean, we don't need anything to remind us of that, do we? But in the tough times, I did need a reminder of God's goodness. And God's goodness is even more real. You'll find that God's goodness comes through even stronger in the tough times. And your miracle book is a tool to help you see it. And so why do you need one? Well, the first thing is obedience. That verse that we just read said, I will give thanks. I will recount your wonderful deeds. If we're going to do that, if we're going to give thanks and recount these deeds that God does, we'll need to remember them. And so that's why we write them down. And also, we want to keep a miracle book so we won't miss it. It's so you you won't recognize God's goodness unless you train yourself to watch for it. So you're really looking for it. It's human nature to watch out for the bad stuff but it's a spiritual nature that is trained to look for the good stuff. And then also, you need to keep a miracle book to remember so you won't forget what he's done. Just, you wanna keep remembering. You wanna always be able to to remember. And you think you'll remember? You won't. I look back now and this reminds me of daily goodness from God. And it's to build your faith. You see the consistency of God's provision and that gives you the big picture. When I look back and I see day after day after day after day after day after day that God has kept coming through for me in my life, then I'm able to trust him with this day that I'm in now because it's a long-term relationship that I have with God. And then lastly, it's to practice for the hard times because you'll be able to trust him when you need him most. And it resets your autopilot from fear to faith and just to give you an example, and here, this is something out of, um, this is volume two of the Miracle Book, and I really wrote volume two Miracle Book on the front. And, and this is just something um, that I wrote in it. Um, this is a couple of days before Jude was born. And it says, fear and faith can't occupy the same space. So we reject fear and run toward you again today, Lord. We look back over all the days we've spent in Cincinnati and are confident that you will take care of us in this one as well. And you know, I didn't write that to ever read to you. I wrote that because I was just pouring out my heart to God and just saying, God, I'm trusting in you. Now you have you've kept us day by day, and I'm trusting you for this one. And Job, there's a verse that I love that says, My eyes had heard of you, but now my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And I love that because To me, that's what the miracle book is. It's a personal testament to his work in my life. And we share this with you because we want you to have your own. We want you to have a written record of what God has done, is doing in your life.
1: So Chris told you why you should have a miracle book. Now let's look at how do you do the miracle book? Well, there are four principles. First, recognize every miracle. You wanna recognize the miracles when they come your way. But before you can recognize a miracle, you gotta first recognize that you need a miracle. There's a time in the Old Testament when Jerusalem was under siege by the powerful Assyrian army. And uh, the Assyrian army had destroyed all the other nations around them and now they they were sieging Jerusalem and there was a godly king, Hezekiah, who was the king of Israel at the time. And he knew that the situation looked bleak and they needed a miracle. And then he gets a letter from the wicked king of Assyria, King Sennacherib. And this letter says, you need to surrender or you will be destroyed like all the other nations before you. We've destroyed all the other nations and all the gods of those nations, so you're going to be destroyed too, and we will destroy your God like we've destroyed all the other gods. And I want you to look at what Hezekiah does when he gets this devastating letter. And I'm sure he was filled with fear because... You can't help but be filled with fear when something fearful happens. It's just human nature, but then you have a choice. Are you gonna choose fear or faith? And as Chris said, fear and faith can't occupy the same space. And so Hezekiah chooses faith in spite of his feelings of fear. And here's what he does in 2 Kings 19, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. So Hezekiah takes this devastating letter and he just lays it out before God. He says, God, uh, this is what we're up against. God, we need a miracle. And God, uh, this king says that he's destroyed all the other gods and he's going to destroy you too and destroy us. But we know that you're the one true God, we know that you're the God of miracles and we need a miracle, and he lays out his desperate prayer to God, and you need to lay out your desperate situation to God. Every day, lay out that desperate situation that you're facing to God. That's what Josh and Kelly did every day in Cincinnati. They would lay out the reality of the problem. They would lay out the odds and the medical reports. They they would lay out before God all the things that they needed that God would have to come through on because They couldn't do it. They were just laid out before God, and we said last weekend that we learned to pray those just for today prayers. They would say, just for today, God, give us the wisdom we need to make that decision that we have to make today. Just for today, God, give us the strength to walk this path. Just for today, God, provide this, provide that that we need. Just for today, God. And once you lay out your desperate prayer to God, your just for today prayer, start watching for God to work during the day. You open your spiritual eyes and ask God, open my eyes to see what you're gonna bring me today so I can open my heart and receive all that you have for me. And I can give all that you want me to give. But there's three places that we often look and we miss the miracle. We're looking in the wrong place for the miracle. We're looking for miracles, but it's in the wrong place. And if you look in these wrong places, you will miss the miracles that God wants to bring into your life. The first is we look for the miracle in tomorrow and miss the miracle in today. Jude taught us an important lesson about miracles. That we many times fail to recognize the miracles of today because we're so focused on a miracle in the future that will solve all of our problems tomorrow. We get so focused on that big miracle that could solve all our problems one day that we miss the miracles that are in today the miracle you need might be right under your nose. Many times it is. The miracle you need most might be right there in front of your face, but you just can't see it because you're looking past it. God planted it right there in this day, but you're looking past it, trying to find the miracle in tomorrow, and you'll never find the miracle today in tomorrow. In John 1.10, it says he, Jesus, was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe was walking among them and they didn't recognize him. Why? Because they were looking for the miracle of the Messiah in the future and they didn't see the miracle that was right in the present. The very presence of God was in their present tense, and they missed it. And we miss it many times because we're looking for the miracle one day rather than in this one day. Don't wait for one day, start looking in this day, in this one day, today. That miracle might be right in front of you. Ask God to open your eyes so you can see it.
0: Another place that we look for the miracle and end up missing it is that we look for the miracle we want and we miss the miracle that we get. When we look in the wrong place. We're looking in a different place. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I have been watching for a miracle. And I'm looking here. And meanwhile, the miracles are just going on right over here. And I miss them all together because, nope, I just know exactly what it's going to look like. And this is what I need to be watching for. You see, while this all was going on and Kelly and Josh were pregnant it was a busy time in their lives. And for most of us, we'd probably categorize all of our times as busy times. And in the same way it was for them. They, had, they were busy, they had a lot going on. They were very excited about their first child being born. Um, also, Kelly had just graduated from school. she just finished with her, um, gotten her doctorate in pharmacy, and she was studying for her pharmacy board, so she was you know, all ready to go for that, and there was just a lot going on. The calendar was full, and then suddenly they had this diagnosis, and I'll never forget Josh saying to me the very next day, wow, what we wouldn't give to have last week's problems back. You know, what we wouldn't give. You know, we thought we were weighted down. We thought we were carrying the weight of the world. But now we know that I would take those problems in a heartbeat. But You see, the enemy distracts us from what we do have by turning our heads toward what's missing. And we, could, we keep watching for that place that's missing, for that empty spot in our life. Whatever it is that you feel is that empty spot, and you know what it is, Maybe you are longing to have a child and that God has not brought that about and you keep waiting for that miracle to happen. Maybe you are waiting for a spouse. You want to get married so badly and you're just waiting for the spout, that spouse, for God to fill that blank space. And you know, there's a hundred other spaces and they're all good ones. It's not that they're bad things to want or to watch for, but the trouble is that when we get so focused on looking at that place that's empty in our lives, we miss what we do have. We miss what we have while we're yearning for what we don't. And I found through this journey with Jude that a lot of times spiritual growth, uh, that is kind of having a bigger and wiser spirit, means I learn to turn my own head. You know, by nature, I want to keep looking for that thing I want too. I just, I want to keep looking and watching for the one thing I want to happen. But spiritual growth, spiritual maturity means that I learn to turn my own head. I say, okay, God, I'm aware of this. I'm not denying it. I'm not denying this is something I want. But yet, I am going to recognize what's good in my life right now. Even despite there are things that I don't want or don't have, I'm also going to recognize and call out the good. I'm going to remember the good. I'm going to celebrate the good. I'm going to realize that all good is a great gift, and I should be surprised by all the good instead of always being only surprised when things are hard. Have you ever noticed how many stories in the Bible are about loss? The Bible is full of stories of hurting people, of of stories of people who have lost a lot. Adam and Eve lost the Garden of Eden, and then they lost their second son because he was killed by their firstborn, Jacob lost his beloved wife Rachel in childbirth. I mean, he had fallen in love with her at first sight, and then he worked for her to earn her hand in marriage for seven years, and then he was tricked, and he worked for another another seven years of hard labor. But then she died. Joseph lost his home and his family when his brothers sold him into slavery. Moses' mother lost her son when the Egyptian ruler ordered that all male babies would be killed. And God the Father, he didn't lose his son. God the Father gave his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his son to save us. But despite all these things in the Bible, all these stories of loss, is the Bible a sad book? No, I'm so grateful that there are stories of loss, that the Bible is a book full of reality because these stories remind us that death and loss and suffering are part of this life. They're part of living in a broken world. And so Carrie and I, Josh and Kelly, our family, we believed that God could do something that he didn't. We believed he could heal Jude and the kind of healing that we had really, really prayed hard for physical healing on this earth, that didn't happen. But you know what? That doesn't change anything. I know that because I know as a parent that if my child correctly believes that I have the ability and the resources to provide a certain gift for them, but I don't, it doesn't mean their perception's wrong. I have withheld good things from my children before. I have withheld extra sweets and playtime and and things that could be good I've said no this is a, this might be a good thing but I know a better thing and so I'm denying the good thing for a better one when I deny my child it's always because I have a wider view than their narrow request it's always because I can see farther than they can and because I love them so much you see the hardest thing for a parent is to withhold something seemingly good from an obedient, loving child who's earnestly pleading for it. If you're a parent, maybe you've had a child ask you for something, please, please, why can't I do it? And and despite tears and they're not understanding, you just say, you know what? No, I'm gonna have to say no, because I love you. And even if they don't get it, even if they can't see it, the no stands. And I hate being that bad guy, but I've done it more times than I can count because I love my kids. You see, we've learned so much about the hardness of life and the goodness of God. And Jude Samuel lived for just one day, but the lessons he taught have changed all the rest of our days. And our family grew more in real faith during the hardest time than all the good times put together. We're learning to reconcile what we thought we'd have with what we do have. And letting go of our dream involves allowing for the possibility that what we thought things would be like, my plan, what I thought was the best plan, might not be the best after all, even if I still can't see that yet. Also, it means believing that something even better than my original plan is yet possible. And without the miracle book, without that daily discipline, Joy, a lot of times, it just leaks out of me like a hole in my pocket. Like I can't hold joy because I just, I just keep wanting. The ache keeps coming. You see, we look for the miracle to remove our hurt, but the miracle is often hidden in the hurt. The actual hurt, the thing we didn't want, is a lot of times the place where the miracle is found. It turns out that those dual train tracks of good stuff and bad stuff in our lives We learned with Jude, those two tracks, we like to compartmentalize them. We like to think, well, there's good stuff in my life and then there's bad stuff. But with Jude, we came to realize all of life, all of that just became a monorail. It all came together. Jude's story is the best for us and it's the hardest. And sometimes hurt is so deep that it becomes inseparable from the rest of life and it can't be compartmentalized. So if there's gonna be any more good, any more joy in this life, it's going to have to be merged into the painful story, coexist with that. So all grieving is awkward. We have grieved awkwardly in front of you, and so we thank you for your grace with us, with our family. But as a family, as a church family, there's one thing I think we can continue to do, and you guys have been so gracious to us. This is, you're the ones who taught us this. I encourage you to say the name. If there's someone that you know who has lost a loved one then I encourage you to say their name. A lot of times we hold back from that because we think, well, I mean, they seem to be having a good day, so I don't want to bring that person up because I don't want to make them sad. You know, I don't want to remind them of their loss. Trust me, you won't remind them because they never forgot. Those who lose a loved one, they don't forget. And saying the name to them and just letting them know, hey, I remember, we miss that person too. How are you doing? It lets them know that their loved one is remembered and that they're not alone.
1: So the first thing you do is you have gotta recognize the miracles that come your way. Don't look in the wrong places. And then you've got to record them. Record every miracle. Remember in the Old Testament when Joshua was ready to lead the people into the promised land. There was a great barrier between them and their destiny, the Jordan River, it was at flood stage. There was no way across it, they would need a miracle. God does the miracle, he parts the water, it was the Red Sea 2.0, he parts the Jordan River, they walk through on dry ground into the promised land, but then God commands Joshua to pick out 12 men, one from each tribe, to send them back into the dry riverbed while the water is parted. That took a little bit of faith. Hey, we just got through that. And go back in, and they went back into the dry riverbed, and they were to each pick out a sizable rock to hoist it onto their shoulders and then to walk it into the Israelite camp on the Promised Land side of the Jordan River and then stack them in a pile. Why were they to do that? The answer is in Joshua 4:21. It says, "Then Joshua said to the Israelites, "In the future, your children will ask, "What do these stones mean?" Then you will tell them, "This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes." It was a monument to remember the miracle. The stones of remembrance. And that's what the miracle book is. It's a monument to remember the miracle. Why? Because we forget. We forget the big things God does, much less the little things that really make a bigger difference most of the time, and that's why we have to write it down. When you write them down, then you can look back, and it builds your faith because you remember How much God loves you. You remember that God cares about the details of your life. You remember that God saw you through once and he'll do it again. But we forget to remember. And so we recognize the miracles and then record every miracle.
0: And then also we need to rehearse every miracle. Psalm 42 verse six says, when my soul is in the dumps, I rehearse everything I know of you. I am never not amazed at how good God is when I look back at the miracle book. Sure, there's a little bit of ache all the time when we think of Jude, but yet we know and we see it clearly now that there is so much goodness, goodness that we would have missed if we didn't intentionally remember. This past year, the year before, the year before, these times have been easily the toughest But the hard things in this experience with you, the hard things have been like reading glasses. I don't know how many of you need reading glasses like I do. I have reading glasses. They really help me a lot. You know, let me just tell you for those who are younger, you get to a certain age and all of a sudden all the doctors are younger than you. And they all say, well, you know, around your age. (laughs) I say, I know, I know. But I have reading glasses and they're great. You know why? Because I put them on and everything comes into sharp focus. It's awesome. And the hard things in life are like reading glasses because when I look through them, I see magnified our unseen God at work. I see in sharp focus what He has done when I look through the hard things, through the miracles. When I use those eyes of faith to see what he's doing? But what if I took my reading glasses, my prescription reading glasses that, you know, are just perfect for my eyes, and I just held them in my hand? They said, here you go, the optometrist, and I just held them in my hand, I said, well, they don't work. They're not working for me. I thought this was supposed to help me. Well, it'd be really discouraging if I just looked at him and said, this doesn't help at all. That's what happens when we just look at our hard things. When we just keep staring at our hard things and saying, this is hard, this is so hard. This is is not helping, this is hard. But when we look through them, even though we would never choose them, when we look through them, then they enable us to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When we look through our hard things, they expose the true state of our existence, which is wholly, utterly, completely dependent on the Lord to make it to the next hour. That is the truth of my existence. I'm not gonna make it until noon today, certainly not noon tomorrow, if I don't keep my eyes on him, if he doesn't keep sustaining me. He's my only hope. He's my only hope. And looking through the hard things reminds me of that and helps me realize where I really stand. The truth is, time doesn't heal anything. It just passes. Time passes. It's what you do during the passing of time that helps or hinders the healing process. And the thing to do as we're healing, and let's face it, in a broken world, we're always in a state of healing. And the surprise is not that... Sometimes things go wrong. Even though I'm surprised when things go wrong, I shouldn't be. We live in a broken world. Of course things are gonna go wrong. Scripture teaches us, it tells us, in this world, you will have troubles. Expect it. The miracle is that they ever go right, that God keeps on holding us, even when we don't remember to thank him, even when we don't realize what's going on, that he's taking care of us. In the miracle book, is a love note to you from your savior to remind you of how much he loves you, that he's taking care of you, that everything is going to be all right, that love is on the way. That's what we learned. And we wanted Josh and Kelly to, in a few minutes, just share their story and where they're at now. Just watch.
2: So we woke up on January 7th and I remember that it was the first day in weeks that the sun was shining and I hadn't been outside in weeks because I was in the hospital, but I remember the sun coming through the windows and I remember thinking it's a good day to be born.
3: There were so many things that were so hard through the pregnancy. I distinctly remember waking up and it's the probably the only time in my life where I feel like I've heard the Lord, like, share something with me directly or heard the Lord tell me something directly, and it was a voice saying, get up, today is the day of salvation, today is the day of deliverance, get up.
2: They had told us a million times to not expect him to cry because if his lungs weren't working very well yet, you know, that was normal, and that they would work on him, they would get him breathing, it would be okay. Bit, but that was just the standard that we we probably would never hear him cry for a long time. And I will never forget being in the room and he was born and he had the most beautiful cry that you would never know anything was wrong. It wasn't until they just couldn't get his lungs working like they needed to. I remember a doctor finally said, you've got to sit down, you've got to hold him. And that was really hard. Yeah. Cause that was like the first time we thought maybe our prayers won't be answered the way we want them. And so I remember I held him and you held him and he went to be with the Lord. And I remember thinking, I never thought I would go through that, especially now at our age, you think of that when you're, you you think you'll never have to watch your child go to be with the Lord. You know, you think that's you first, but Um, But we did, and I'm so thankful our moms were there and that um, we had so much support from everyone was there. And I um, I remember afterwards thinking, I just want to go home.
3: And it was all just so daunting. And I remember probably one of the first times that realizing that, you know, just how life would be different. close family friend of ours who had lost uh, lost his son told us, you'll never get over it, uh, but you will get through it with God's power.
2: And as we walked through the days of life, since Jude, God started teaching us lesson after lesson. And sometimes in those early days, it was hard to really grasp much because we were just trying to survive. But very quickly, he showed us that Jude did exactly what he was supposed to do for the 24 hours he was here. Hmm. He breathed and he trusted God.
3: It's easy for me to go through life not recognizing the miracles God has done and the blessings that he has given me. And I think a lot about when, um, through Jude, how important it is for me and my faith to look back, even on the days that are hard, um, to remember the good things God has done. And, the, and remember that it was in the midst of a lot of hard things.
2: Our relationships with God, it almost felt like it got so much more complicated because our lives got more complicated, but it also got so much deeper and it felt like these roots that were, uh, went deep down and so that when other things have come, because hard things have come since then and, and great things have come, but We have those deep roots in Christ where uh, we know exactly where our foundation is.
3: I had always heard my parents and other people say that, oh, your view of God just totally explodes once you become a parent. Um, And I think uh, for Kelly and I, that was absolutely the case.
2: I know once we became parents, our journey looked a little different with having Jude first, and um, then our daughter Mary Love. And with Mary Love here, we were terrified the whole time. And you know, we prayed and we prayed, and, uh, and we trusted God, but still felt nervous. And we had a whole church praying for us. And so, um, when she was born, she, we were just in awe of God's goodness, and we were especially in awe that you could look at her, and she looked just like Jude.
3: Our greatest prayer for our kids is that they would honor the Lord, and love the Lord with all their hearts, and that the fact that Jude and I together get to share this hope of Christ with other people, and, and that independently we couldn't do it, but together somehow we, we can present this clear message of hope, and, and for Kelly as well, we're all of us together as a family, we can do that It's just the greatest privilege and it's still not the way that we would want to. But we just could not be more proud of our son.
0: You see, God answered the biggest prayer in our miracle book because um, right there when it started, when we started the miracle book, we wrote down, Lord, please let you glorify you and Let him share your love with his generation. And it turns out he's doing that. You see, God answers our prayers. And that leads us to the fourth thing, which is receive every miracle.
1: God does his miracles in his time and in his way, and he always knows best because he's sovereign, even when we don't understand it by God's providence. Um, The night before Josh and Kelly were to go to Cincinnati to start this journey, uh, our dear friends from Kenya, Bishop Philip Kototo and his wife, Dina, were speaking here at Woodland Church. And God had arranged that because nothing surprises God. We were surprised by the diagnosis and what had happened, but God wasn't. And the Kototos, our dear friends, were right there from Kenya, they were here. And after the service, we went, Back to my office, and we, as our family, and Bishop and Dina just laid hands on Josh and Kelly and prayed for them and prayed for Jude. And Bishop said, I'm reminded of the vision God gave Ezekiel of the valley of the dry bones. When God brought Ezekiel to this valley filled with millions of bones, a valley of death and hopelessness, and God asked, Can these bones live? And Ezekiel answered, Only you know, Sovereign Lord. And he said, I I think of Jude. Will Jude live? And we have to say, Only you know, Sovereign Lord, and we trust him to our Sovereign Lord. But then he said, God commanded Ezekiel, Speak life over these bones. And then Bishop, as he does so often, has that little smile, and he has that twinkle in his eye and he looked up at Josh with those kind and penetrating eyes and he said, Josh, your job is to speak life over Jude. Your job is to speak life and blessings and pray daily life over Jude and what powerful words and Josh took it to heart and every day for those nine weeks, he and Kelly every night spoke life over their son in the womb and they prayed life over their son, and they sang songs of life over their son, and they obeyed even though they didn't feel like it. They obeyed even though they didn't know what the end result would be. They obeyed, and they left it to their sovereign Lord, and so after Jude went to be with the Lord, I went back to that passage in Ezekiel that had given Josh such courage to obey and speak life even in the face of death. And as I read how it concluded, I was filled with so much hope. It says in Ezekiel 37.7, so I spoke this message just as he told me. Ezekiel spoke life just as God said. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. I love that rattling noise all across the valley. You see, the prophet Ezekiel spoke life and all of a sudden there was a rattling noise that brought all these bones started coming together and coming to life and it was a rattling noise of hope from a valley of hopelessness and death and I I thought about what was happening in our lives and it was as if I could literally hear the rattling noise of hope rising up in my soul. The rattling noise of hope coming out of this place of hopelessness, the rattling noise of life and hope coming together from this place of death. It started with Josh and Kelly's obedience in speaking and singing life over Jude and leaving him to our sovereign Lord, that rattling noise of hope coming out of hopelessness See, Jude's alive in heaven, but his life here on earth keeps reverberating hope and life. And we've seen so many lives change because of Jude's life. We've seen so many people come to Christ because of Jude. We've seen so many people have hope in the middle of their hurt. So many people have life in the middle of the valley of death. It's been an amazing thing. And the rattling noise of hope is just starting. That rattling noise is now becoming a rumble and a roar of hope. And it's just been amazing to watch, this echo of hope that echoes into eternity. And maybe you feel like you're in a valley of hopelessness and death right now. And you feel like there's no way out. I want you to know, I can hear the rattling noise of hope rising up. I can hear the rattling noise of hope because of Jesus Christ. When everything looked darkest on that Good Friday, Everything looked dark. The whole world went dark. It looked like Satan had won. It looked like death had defeated our Savior, but nothing could hold him down because on that third day, he rose again, and he's alive. He's alive. The rattling noise of hope rising from a valley of hopelessness and death, and that's what he wants to do in your life. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Can you hear it? I hear the rattling noise of hope. It's turning into a roar, it's turning into a rumble of hope and life, and that's what God wants to do in your life over this month. He wants to bring you more hope than you've ever experienced in your life. And maybe the greatest treasure, you'll find it hidden in your greatest hurt. God wants to bring his hope into your heart. God wants to bring his healing into your heart. God wants to bring some heaven into your place here on this earth over the next month, and I want you to do three things. Expect miracles first. Expect miracles. God's gonna do miracles in your life. Then secondly, expect Satan to hassle you because he won't like it. He won't like it when you start really getting it and learning how to unwrap the gift of a day. But third thing is, he can't stop it. Expect to grow more than ever before. You're gonna grow spiritually in your faith, stronger in your faith, deeper in your faith, more than ever before. Get ready for a month of miracles. But most importantly, get ready to live this one day. This one day. One day we'll have heaven, and everything will be all right. But right now we have this one day. One day. And God wants to bring hope in it, and he wants to use you. Let's bow together. Dear God, I pray for everyone here who's feeling hopeless and weak and worn out, for everyone here, Lord, who's going through pain and problems, that you would just let them hear, Lord Jesus, that rattling noise of hope. They cannot be held down, the rattling noise of hope. Lord, maybe they feel like they're in the valley of death and hopelessness, but that rattling noise of hope is bringing life and hope in the middle of their situation. And I just pray you continue to bring hope. And over this month, Lord, that you would just bring healing and strength and miracles beyond measure. I pray, Lord, that all those who don't know you as Lord and Savior would right now pray this prayer and come to know Jude's Savior. They would just say in their hearts, Jesus Christ, I need you to save me. I need the greatest miracle of all, the miracle of life change. Come into my life, forgive me of all my sins. I want you to be my Lord from now on. I accept your free gift of salvation in heaven one day. I could never earn it or deserve it. Thank you for saving me. Now help me grow in my faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God some of what he's given us. And let me just remind you that when you give, you're really following in the footsteps of Christ. You're being more like God because for God so loved the world he gave. And that's how we become more like Christ, is to be givers. And next week, we're going to talk about the lesson we learned from Jude, that if you're not mistaken for an angel, you're doing it wrong. If you're not mistaken for an angel every day, at least once, you're doing it wrong. And we're going to talk about that. It's going to be powerful how to give love so that people really receive it. But we give because we love and pray that it will be multiplied through all the ministries and missions of Woodland Church, is we have now over 120 mission projects and ministries and, that are making such an impact here and around the world. Many ways to give. You can give through our PushPay app on your phone. You can give through our online giving. And all of those of you worshiping with us online, you can give right now. And everyone at our campuses, you can give right now. Um, you can give through your phone. You can give online. You can give through check. You can give many ways to give. Just make it consistent. Be faithful in your giving. Be obedient because obedience brings blessing. Lord, bless our giving. And as we give, we just ask you to multiply it for your glory. And Lord, we also ask you to give back to us more because that's what you have promised and you always keep your word. Let us be a conduit of your blessings. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us.
3: We hope you have a great week.